Welcome to the Awareness Offerings Podcast, a weekly offering of yoga philosophy discussion and guided meditation for the moments we're living in. I'm your host, Laura Tara Davy Joplin. I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, spiritual social media strategist, and integrative counselor, working to integrate the principles of the spiritual path into every aspect of my work and my life. This podcast is an extension of that work as I navigate the world as a white woman devotee of yoga, living at many intersections of privilege, living in the West, and trying to live with awareness. Thank you for joining me in this work. You're listening to episode 30, Freedom Through Fear. Welcome to the 30th episode of the Awareness Offerings Podcast, y'all. Thank you for being here with me as we have hit this milestone in this sweet little podcasting world. As always, if you'd like to support what's happening on this podcast, you can do so by rating and or leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen, which helps more folks find the pod. And if you'd like to help more folks find awareness offerings by sharing on social media or by word of mouth, also incredibly grateful for that. And as always, (laughs) grateful that you are here. So let's be here. Let's get into the space. We'll start with our opening ritual of singing the sound of OM one time. Om is the sound that means consciousness. It's the sound that contains all other sounds. So it's almost like widening our lens a little bit from the kind of the day-to-day, the mind, the chaos, the stress, taking a broader view so that we can build some more awareness in the practices we'll be doing today. So you can sing Om out loud or you can join me in this practice just by listening. I'll invite you if you'd like to, to get your body into a comfortable position and perhaps close your eyes or just soften your gaze by looking down the tip of your nose or gazing toward the floor. Just letting go of the external vision to start to turn toward your internal experience here for a moment. And then if you'd like, you can take a deep breath in through your nose if nostril breathing is available to you today. And a full exhale through your nose, just clearing some space. And an inhale for the sound of OM. Thank you for joining me in that practice. Now we'll go into this week's discussion. And as always, I will orient you to the experience you'll be having when you're listening to this podcast. You're still going to hear my space heater. I think it might be safe to say that you'll probably hear the gentle hum of my space heater in the background for the remainder of the winter season. If you're listening to this kind of synchronously as I release them and it's winter for you as well, there will be a space heater. So that's happening. And now we're going to talk about freedom through fear. Freedom through fear. And that might sound strange or counterintuitive. And it has to do with Kali. With this form of the sacred that comes from the Hindu tradition, which is not the same thing as yoga, but deeply influenced the classical tradition of yoga because Hinduism and yoga grew up at the same time and in the same place in India. Um, so Kali is this Hindu form of the sacred, um, and she is fearsome. She is fierce. 
She is sometimes referred to as a demoness. She is wild. And so a lot of the times she is associated with fear. And I've been doing some reading that has shed some light for me on how Kali is related to fear. And what I've learned has felt really connected to the way that we are confronting or not confronting fear in our world today. So we are still living in a pandemic world. I'm recording this podcast at the end of January 2022. We have, uh, you know, we've done about two years of this and it is continuing and we are still on this journey of the COVID-19 pandemic that continues to, you know, have twists and turns and ask more from us. And it is, you know, exhausting in many ways and it is frustrating in many ways, uh, but it's still happening. And one of the dynamics that has come up as we as a collective, especially those of us in the United States, which is where I live and where I'm recording from, but one of the dynamics that's come up is this idea of what fear is, especially in relationship to the pandemic. And fear is a really natural response and a really natural state of being in a time like this, where so much is unknown, so much is overwhelming. There are you know, life-threatening things happening. There are things that are threatening our livelihoods and the things we enjoy, our families, um, the rituals and things that are important to us. A lot has been at stake and continues to be at stake over the last two years. And so fear is a really natural response. And I want to make that really clear from the outset. So we have been asked to be present with fear in a way that maybe some of us haven't before and certainly in a way that's different than anything we've all experienced in our lifetime because this is really the first you know, pandemic event in our generation for most of us. Um, so fear is coming up in this new, really potent and really pervasive way and it's really natural. But what has happened as this time that has generated fear has unfolded for all of us is there has been a lot of there have been a lot of different responses to it and a lot of those are natural responses right Um, but one of those particular responses is almost an aversion of fear a pushing away of fear or a categorization of fear as something that is to be avoided or something negative that we need to be kind of um, getting over or doing without So as the pandemic has unfolded, there has been this response um, that it's like freedom over fear or faith over fear or having freedom from fear. Uh, And all of these different responses that that, have come up in our collective discourse on social media, um, in different groups of people, just the way people have responded to the pandemic, they all kind of have the same message, which is it creates... um, a, a juxtaposition of opposites as if freedom is the opposite of fear or faith is the opposite of fear and what is the the primary it it it, it um the assumption behind these messages is that the primary goal during this time that does generate a lot of fear is that you know freedom from fear should be the primary goal or freedom more than fear should be the goal right we should We should be, you know, prioritizing freedom instead of fear. And so all of this messaging that has been rather common, at least in my, you know, I don't have any science on that. I don't have any data on that. Um, I'm just speaking from a place of anecdotal experience, from what I've seen, from conversations I've had with other people. Um, But it's been really common. And this message, it, it assumes or it positions 
fear and freedom as the opposite of each other. Two things we have to choose between, especially in this time. And typically what is being referred to as fear are mitigation strategies for this pandemic that we're continuing to live in, right? Um, like masking, social distancing, um, you know, keeping our circles small and even, you know, self-isolation and quarantining and vaccination, right? And, and um uh, infectious disease research, all these different t mitigation tools that we have for the pandemic and that we're continuing to develop and learn more about um, through this pandemic, a lot of times in this particular type of response, they are put under the category of fear. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, the category of freedom is, you know, not choosing not to wear a mask, um, choosing not to get vaccinated, uh, choosing not to practice social distancing or other mitigation strategies. So there has been this kind of black and white binary that has been created um, where freedom is associated with, you know, not taking up any mitigation strategies or certain mitigation strategies during the pandemic. And fear has been associated with taking up mitigation strategies, with doing um, things that have been suggested to, to protect ourselves and others from this pandemic. So they, they've all been put into these two different categories, and these two categories have been positioned as the opposite of one another. And I'm using the pandemic as an example of this binary between freedom and fear because it is the most kind of, um, it's the most prevalent one right now. It's the one that's most relevant. It's still unfolding right in front of our faces. Um, and it's the one that's just impacting us the most as a collective right now. But this can apply in a lot of different areas. The way we relate to fear um, is a, it's a universal kind of truth of life that we all have to deal with. How, how we relate to fear is something we all have to contend with. But I use the pandemic as an example because it is the most um, kind of pervasive narrative around fear and, and the most collective one because we're all having to deal with it right now in some way or the other. So the pandemic and this particular type of response to the pandemic has created this binary where freedom and fear are opposites. Freedom means no mitigation strategies. Fear means mitigation strategies. And I expressed at the beginning of this episode that I have been doing some reading and some learning about the goddess Kali, this Hindu form of the sacred that uh, has given me a new perspective with, with which to think about fear and how we relate to fear. Because again, ultimately, that's what these reflections that I'm offering to you today are about. The pandemic is the example, but it's about how we relate and think about fear. So I've been reading this book. It's called The Sword and the Flute, Kali and Krishna, Dark Visions of the Terrible and the Sublime in Hindu Mythology. The book is called The Sword and the Flute, and it's written by David R. Kinsley. And it is essentially a study of the Hindu mythology around two deities, Kali, who I'm, I'm speaking about and have been speaking about, and Krishna, another form of the sacred in Hinduism. And David R. Kinsley has studied the all of these different mythologies, their origins, um, how they interplay with each other, and what they both, what they say about the Hindu perspective on what the sacred is, on what the divine is. And 
the first part of the book deals with Krishna, one form of the divine, and the second part deals with Kali. And Kali is whom I'm going to focus on today, and the, the Kali section of the book is the one that I am reading right now. And in this section of the book, uh, David R. Kinsley recounts a lot of these different myths around Kali her origin, how she first came to be known and understood in the Hindu tradition, um, and how she evolved over time as her, um, as the, the understanding and worship of her evolved. And her original form, as I alluded to earlier in this podcast, was, you know, fearsome and frightening. She was said to be this gaunt, emaciated haggard demoness right with fangs and sunken blood red eyes um, and blood dripping from her mouth and matted hair and she was horrifying to behold and in so many ways represents fear and darkness and she is widely regarded and known as a symbol of death and so her original form was you know this horrifying um you know extremely unpleasant some would say ugly form to look at and then later in the tradition as her acceptance into hindu mythology evolved and as the understanding and reverence of her of kali evolved so did her form change a bit she retained a lot of the fearsome aspects of herself right she still had blood dripping from her mouth um, she still was associated with symbolism like skulls, um, and she, you know, wore, wears a necklace of human heads around her neck. Um, those are all things that came from her original, much darker and scarier form that she still retained. She carried over into later versions of her, but the change was that she softened in some ways. She was no longer described as, you know, ugly and haggard and old she had more of a more youthful appearance she had a softer face and even though she was still incredibly fierce this warrior bloodthirsty goddess she was described as extremely beautiful so this goddess of death and fear just in the way that she was understood in hindu mythology which is her her place of origin there was an evolution from fearsome to a, a somewhat softer version there was some more softness and beauty in there and that is that evolution in itself i think is important to the way that we understand fear if we're thinking about kali as a representation of fear and i'll say more about that in a moment but what I've also been reading about as I read about, you know, the evolution and history of Kali's mythology is the way that she has historically been understood and worked with in the practices of, of different practitioners in the tradition of Hinduism and yoga. Practitioners who are essentially seeking to, you know, be the the yogi and I, I use the word yogi very consciously I don't choose to call myself a yogi as someone in the west who is not you know living an aesthetic life wherein I've renounced um all of the world's um you know pleasures and I'm going to live you know in a mountain cave alone um I don't think I am a yogi I'm a yoga practitioner um but in this uh, text about about Kali what is being described are actual yogis, the ancient practitioners who did renounce all of life and essentially set out on a quest 
to master the mind uh, and to master their experience of the world in order to experience total oneness with God. So these practitioners, as described in this text, um, they would go on a journey and they would, again, often renounce different, um, different parts of the world, parts of life, um, things that were like taboo and undesirable and forbidden. They would renounce these things on this quest, on this journey for oneness with God. And then there would come a time in the life of this yogi, this practitioner, this deep and devoted seeker, in which they would purposefully engage with the things that they had previously announced, renounced, the things they had previously let go of that were forbidden, they would then purposefully welcome into their lives. And so, you know, they would renounce wine and sex and meat. And then under, you know, in a really purposeful way and under the supervision of a teacher, um, quite often, they would then drink wine and have sex and eat meat. Um, and the idea is that by purposefully um, taking in what was once uh, said to be, you know, forbidden and feared and, you know, quote unquote wrong, by purposefully doing those things, you dissolve the separation or the duality between what is good and bad, what is right and wrong, what is forbidden and, and acceptable, what is clean and unclean. The, the separation dissolves and everything is seen as wholeness. Everything is seen as sacred. So there's this purposeful I idea of, you know, renouncing certain things, but then also engaging with certain things because the ultimate truth is that there's no separation between them, between what's good and bad, between what is sacred and not. So these practitioners would purposefully undergo this ritual where they would, you know, um, engage with the things that were forbidden to dissolve the separation. And the deity that they would often meditate on and call upon and associate with this particular ritual of, of uh, you know, tasting the forbidden, if you will, the deity they would call upon was Kali. Because she herself is a representation of the forbidden, of the dark, of the fearful, the ultimate taboo, right? Death. And if you call upon that fear and that fearsomeness and that forbidden aspect, which Kali represents, and you face it purposefully and you welcome it purposefully, then again, there is no separation. There is no need to be ruled by the fear, ruled by the darkness, because there's been an embrace of all things as wholeness, as all of all things as, you know, not separate from one another, as sacred. And Kali represents that because she represents the forbidden. But when we look at her and embrace her on purpose, we see that what we're really looking at is beauty. What we're really looking at is the sacred. And that's what I meant when I talked about, you know, just the simple evolution of how she appeared in Hindu mythology in her early days as dark and ugly and haggard and then evolved into beautiful and soft and gorgeous. I think that represents the same thing. You know, at first glance, she, she representing fear and darkness, looks ugly and undesirable and fearsome. But then we look a little closer and we see that there is no separation between the ugliness, the darkness, the fear, and the sacred. And what we're really looking at is beauty and the sacred. And that in 
in the Hindu tradition, again, which heavily influenced yoga, um, is what Kali represents of, you know, embracing fear to see that there is no true separation between the dark and undesirable things we want to shy away from and the beauty and the sacred. And in describing this ritual in the text that I'm reading, David R. Kinsley said that kind of the purpose of when these, you know, these practitioners, these seekers would meditate on Kali, meditate on this representation of fear to invite her in would be to, you know, integrate the fear, to welcome it as a way of integrating it, right? As making it a part of the rest of the experience rather than casting it out as something other. So the idea is how we relate to the, or what I should say is the idea here is when we're talking about how we relate to fear, it's about integration, looking directly at it with courage and purposefulness so we can see that what we think of as fear is actually something pretty sacred. And the reason that I share this in relation to the way that we are relating to fear right now, um, and I, like I said, this applies to all situations in which fear arises, but in particular, the, the potent, pervasive fear narratives that we're seeing unfold in this you know, scary time of two years of a pandemic. The reason I share this about Kali is because, like I described earlier in this episode, there has been this kind of dichotomy created, a binary where we've positioned fear and freedom as two opposite things. And if we look at that through the lens of this Kali narrative, we see that that's an illusion. That's not real, right? Because when we look a little closer at what we think is fear, we actually see there is no separation between that and the sacred, between that and freedom. So instead of pushing the fear out and labeling certain things, especially things that have been proven uh, by science and public health experts to help people and keep people safe, instead of looking at those things and saying, that's a representation of fear, therefore it needs to be rejected, I'm going to push that away. Instead of doing that, if we look at it and say, okay, This is something that I associate with fear, and rightfully so. There are things to be afraid of, but I'm going to look at it. I'm going to be present with it. I'm going to integrate the fear that I feel so I can see that what I'm pushing away is actually no different than the freedom that I'm seeking. And I'm aware that, you know, those of you who are listening to this podcast are probably not people that I need to convince that, you know, um, the fear narrative that has come about, especially around pandemic mitigation strategies, is kind of based in some falseness. I don't think I need to convince you of that. Um, if I do, though, thank you for listening. I really appreciate you because I don't know who's listening to this podcast. But just you know, thinking about those of you I know that are listening to this, I don't know that I need to convince you. Um, but I hold space, again, for anyone that I might. But anyway, um, the reason that I'm sharing this is... Just to affirm, uh, one, you know, to if, if you are someone who, you know, has been caught up in that binary fear versus freedom narrative and this, 
you know, offers you a different perspective. Amazing. If you are, if you know someone that is caught in that fear versus freedom binary and you, you need a way, you know, you need some talking points to have a compassionate conversation with them about it. Maybe this helps, especially if they, you know, are somehow into the Hindu deity Kali. Um, but I also share it just because if you are like me, you know, over these two years, continuing to notice this, this binary of fear versus freedom. And the way that it has continued to be pervasive, even two years in, when we're seeing how all of this has unfolded, and you're feeling frustrated by it, and you're feeling exhausted by it, and you're feeling like it's, you know, you're feeling a little uncomfortable with it because it doesn't sit quite right with you, I want you to know that you're not alone. And there is, you know, literature in the Hindu tradition, which is, you know, like I said, has heavily influenced the path of yoga. So it is, you know, there is yogic mythology the path of yoga affirms what you're feeling that this idea that fear and freedom have to be separate is not the ultimate truth because when we look at kali in the face we see that she is beautiful and she is sacred even though she's fierce and when we look at fear in the face and we invite it in we see there's no separation between what we fear and what we find freedom in the yogic path affirms this and i just want us to know that you know for thousands and hundreds and thousands if not more years you know humankind has been using the sacred tools like the yogic path to to grapple with these questions and to how we relate to fear so <laughs> it's kind of a it's a deep dive today it feels like going really deep into hindu excuse me, Hindu mythology and into, you know, the reality of the world we're living in. And now we will put down the thinking and the talking and the mind part and, you know, trying to intellectualize all of it. And we'll take it into the body and the heart and the breath and we will embody it through our practice as we always do on this podcast. So this is the moment where we will sit for some meditative practice. So if you're not in a space where you can sit for a moment and get quiet, this might be a moment to pause the podcast and come back later. If you're coming along now, I will invite you to get your body into a comfortable seat. And a comfortable seat is any seat where you can sit with your spine long, long because the spine is the home of your nervous system. It's the center line of your body. And so when there's length and openness there, things are just more connected and moving more freely, which supports us uh, in the inner work that we're doing here. So with your spine long, but you can do whatever you want to do with your arms and legs. You can sit on a chair, on a cushion, on your bed, you know, back against the wall. Anything you need to support that long spine is all good here. And as you find your way into your meditative seat for this practice today, I'll invite you to close your eyes. Or you could choose to simply soften your gaze by looking down the tip of your nose or gazing at the floor. Just turning your awareness inward. This is a symbol of looking inside rather than outside for just a few minutes. Not to avoid the outside world, but to continuously kind of resource ourselves, to fortify ourselves from the inside so we can continue to be okay in the outside world. So looking inward, you might use the tool of your breath to continuously turn toward yourself, just noticing, listening, watching as your inhales and exhales come in and out through your nose if nostril breath is available to you. 
If noticing your breath doesn't feel calming or centering to you, you could choose to notice something else, like a sound you can hear or a sensation you can feel, like your tailbone on the ground or the clothes on your skin. Just sending your awareness towards something that's happening right now as a way of settling into the moment that's happening right now. Just settling into presence for this practice. And as you settle in, you might become aware of all the different pieces of your reality right now. Any physical sensations you feel in your body. The thoughts moving through your mind. You might start to practice letting them move, kind of like clouds pass through the sky, rather than trying to grab onto any one of them, just noticing. You might notice you know, the energetic quality of how you feel right now or any emotions that you're feeling, holding, working with right now. And you acknowledge it all. Just welcoming your experience of wholeness, whatever it is you feel, in the spirit of that affirmation that there's no separation between the things that are uncomfortable and the things that are beautiful. There is a wholeness to it all. And so you start to notice and acknowledge the wholeness of your experience right now. go into the more formal realm of this practice now that we've established some presence and we'll start by using a silent mantra so a sound that you say to yourself in your mind giving your mind something to focus on that is more steadying than the constant motion of your thoughts and using the vibration of thoughts to call on a certain kind of energy and here we will call on the energy of Kali. And it's not a small thing to call on the energy of Kali, that energy that is fearsome and associated with the dissolution and death of things. So know that I don't offer this practice lightheartedly. It's a deep one. And so we start with the silent mantra in your mind, just inhaling the words Om Namah Kali. Om Namah Kali. Breathing it in, in your mind, Om Namah Kali. Om Namah Kali. Om means consciousness. Namah means name. And Kali is Kali. She is that form of the sacred we've been talking about today. 
So we're calling on the consciousness or the vibration of Kali, using her name, calling on that energy of, you know, things that might look fearful at first, things that might look like death or destruction, but upon closer and courageous examination, our beauty and bliss and sacred. Starting with the inhale, Om Namah Kali, and the exhale, Om Namah Kali. And that'll be the, pr the practice here for a few moments. Kali running through your mind on your inhale. Om Namah Kali on your exhale. Just calling on your own willingness to look you know, fear and dissolution in the face and see what's really beneath it, which is really what you're doing here as you work with Mother Kali. One more time, we'll practice that silent mantra, inhaling, Om Namah Kali. Exhaling, Om Namah Kali. And you can let the mantra dissolve, release it and return to your breath or whatever awareness is keeping you centered in the moment that you're in right now. And we'll move into a visualization practice. And if for any reason that's not you know, the practice for you. You can continue to breathe in and out the silent mantra and let that be your Kali practice. Just calling on that willingness to relate to your fear as if it is not separate from the sacred. Or for this visualization practice, I'll invite you to bring to your mind's eye the vision of a skull. Skulls are deeply associated with Kali. She wears them. They surround her when she's in the cremation grounds, the air, the kind of the the space of death in the Indian and Hindu traditions. And you know, skulls represent the dying away and sometimes the fear that associates that's associated with that. So you bring to mind a skull. You see it in your mind's eye. It might look you know more realistic if that feels comfortable. It might look a little more you know, cartoonish or, or mythological, whatever level of comfort you have with this, if you're going along with the visualization. But you see it. You see the contours, the rounding at the top of the skull, the hinge of the jaw, bridge of the nose. And you look at it as if you would look a person in the face, just sort of looking at this representation of fear and being willing to look right at it. You have your breath with you. You are in your body. You are supportive, supported. 
And again, if this practice is not comfortable, if it is in any way activating of any kind of um, you know, trauma response, this does not have to be the practice for you. Om Namah Kali, in and out through your nose. But if you're visualizing the skull, you're just looking at it for a few breaths. Looking at it and that willingness to look at fear and not push it away by seeing this skull in your mind's eye. And then as you look at the skull, it begins to soften a bit. The edges of the bones begin to round and blur. The color begins to change. And it changes shape in front of you. From the outer edges of the skull bloom the petals of flower, of a flower. So that those hard outer edges begin to soften and spread in all directions taking the shape of flower petals. From the kind of face and bridge of the nose, the center of the flower appears. Whatever flower comes to your mind is good, but in this shape shifting in front of your eyes, the skull dissolves and in its place is a flower. You see the color of both the center and the petals. You see the texture, the softness. You might even smell the fragrance. And you welcome the beauty. You welcome the simple sacred in this moment. Especially that which comes from being willing to integrate fear, to relate to it with compassion and awareness, and then see it transform in front of you because it is not separate. Whatever you fear is not separate from the sacred. And you see the beauty in front of you now. And you welcome it as kind of a balm. A space of comfort and sweetness. After, you know, having looked at fear for a moment, you just see the beauty. You affirm that you are deserving of it. And you breathe it in and out as you see this image of a flower in your mind's eye. And you let that image dissolve as well. You release the visualization and you come back to just anchoring into how you feel. Perhaps your breath, perhaps the sensations in your body. Just feeling all that you feel and knowing that you're doing it from a place of wholeness. From a willingness to be with that which feels, you know, dark and forbidden to the mind because it feels scary. And that which is beautiful and sacred You've done some work to remind yourself that those things are not separate and they're not separate in the world or in you. And you can be in the world from a place of wholeness, not pushing any of it away. Showing up to it with the courage inspired by that warrior mother, Kali, with her sword and her sweetness breathing in and out to notice how you feel for a couple moments longer. 
And then from here, I'll invite you to take an inhale through your nose. Exhale through your mouth, big sigh. In through the nose. And sigh. Release and grounding. We'll do one more. And let your breath return to its organic state. You can begin to blink your eyes open and perhaps move around. As you come out of formal meditation into the world, and even now we are reminded of the wholeness, of the lack of separation between the inward experience and the outward world, right? The spiritual and the everyday. It all comes together when we kind of look at it in the face from a place of wholeness. Thank you for joining me for this awareness offering and for going into embodied practice with me. You can find me on social media at Laura Tara, L-A-U-R-A-T-A-R-A on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. My intro and outro music was created by none other than my very own brother, Oxella Sun, O-X-E-L-A-S-U-N, whom you can also find on Instagram.